None of the content on this or any episode of the Kratom Science Podcast, Kratom Science Journal Club, or on any page of KratomScience.com is intended, nor should it be considered medical claims or medical advice. This is the Kratom Science Journal Club with Dr. Jonathan Cachet, neuroscientist and expert in psychopharmacology. In each episode, we discuss an article in a peer-reviewed journal. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things Kratom. Correlations of Kratom use behavior and psychiatric conditions. Yeah. Yeah, there's four past Kratom Science podcast guests, uh, Oliver Grunman, Kirsten Smith, Darshan Singh, Zach Walsh, Mark Swagger, actually five. And uh, You're running out of people to talk to, bro. Yeah. I got to get some of these other people on here and see if they'll come on. Uh, some of them are saying, like a couple I've asked, not on this paper, but and they've been saying, well, I, I'm not going to say anything different than the other scientist said that was on your podcast. I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, sounds, but, uh, like, a, uh, sounds like an excuse for someone who is some sort of like... Uh... <laughs> Like shy. Like it sounds like an excuse from an introverted academic. Yeah, yeah. I I I've been getting a lot of non responses and stuff, but it, that that's fine. I the only thing I don't like is when somebody is all enthusiastic about coming on and then they and then I get ghosted. Anyway, this paper here. So this was like a big survey. I thought it was the one that we helped to promote with the app and everything, but that it's, but it's not. That only um they only collected data from that uh last year. But this is um the data was collected between July 2019 and July 2020, and it was completed by 4,945 people who use Kratom, but this paper is looking at 2,296 respondents that completed an extended survey that included clinical scales for measuring ADHD, PTSD, depression, and anxiety disorders. So they're looking at people who use Kratom that qualify for those conditions based on the survey. The demographics, they did a bunch of demographics. Majority, 31 to 50 years old, employed, college educated, white, most of them were male. Concurrent or prior use of Kratom with cannabis, CBD, and benzodiazepines. Well, they they started off by introducing a new term that I don't know how we properly say it, but hook, a hook. People, <laughs> people who use, who use cra- person who uses kratom. Yeah, people who use kratom because I know they do like p. It's just uh, shorthand for these papers, but I know they do people who use drugs. And I think I haven't that, heard I, of that one either. Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard of that one because Pasquale Tanguay uses it in his papers. But I think it's mainly a one of those things where they want to say people rather than drug addicts or drug abusers and because it kind of like it's kind of like a uh, humanizes people who use yeah trigger words drugs call yeah them, just call someone plus it's kind of like you see on all the uh drug forums uh swim over and over again what's that someone i met so like you're talking about an experience on an illegal drug and you don't want to say it was you or someone you know oh, okay it's someone you met <laughs> so swim said this 
Oh, uh, okay. That's interesting. I'll use that one. I got to write that down. <laughs> so I'm usually like, yeah, my cousin. And yeah, exactly. it is no, my cousin. I have a lot of cousins, though, so it's, you know, <laughs> puts them in a larger, a large pool of people. Yeah, 2019 to 2020. So the subsequent one that I thought that uh, we help promote is beyond a survey. This is just a survey, but the one that Kirsten Smith is working on through NIDA is like a real-world clinical assessment where the people started out with a survey, then they used an app and everything, but this one we're talking about here is just a survey. I would be, I would be surprised, you know, that one that they did it uh, through with NIDA, an ongoing s- survey, and that they are continuing to collect data, but also usually it takes quite a while for them to complete the analysis on that. I'd be surprised if that was already those results were published yet. Yeah, so this is from like they started and they completed it in 2020. So this is almost this is like two and a half years ago where they collected this data. And they even I think they even mentioned the pandemic which might affect have affected the uh the habits for co-use of other drugs. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I think they mentioned that. Although the survey was launched prior to the COVID-19 pandemic and concluded during the pandemic, we did not suspect the kratom av- availability was affected. Yeah, well, that's true. Because it, it says most of the people ordered it online. So I'm just looking at all the survey results here. Um, I thought the age range was interesting there, that like most of them, you know, we're looking at the majority being the 30 to 50 crowd, right? It's not... Which, which I think is lends support to the notion that these people are using it in some sort of self-medication way rather than like teenagers just trying to, you know, take anything that'll change how they feel. Yeah, there was only about like a, a little over 12% were 18 to 30. Uh, yeah. And so, and like the rest were 31 and 61 and older, 31 to 90, I guess. But uh, And that would yeah. also, you know, exclude the often studied uh, college age people, men or women, right? So if you're yeah. 30, presumably you're not an undergrad at taking Psych 101. That's who usually takes these kinds of surveys, I guess, because of, of their pro- proximity to the universities. Yeah, generally, okay. like, you know, they say there's all these studies on, like, human cognition and human behavior. But, like, really, it's we know a lot about college-age kids taking Psych 101 rather than, like, broadly the human population. Back in, like, the 60s or back in the day, it was much worse. And, you know, usually at that point, too, most of the, the people writing and doing the scientific research were, were men. Yeah. Um, but so I think at least it's better now that people are more aware that of those sort of internal biases. But yeah, this this is not just those college age students. Yeah, especially with substance use, like because the reason exactly. you're using. I mean, yeah. we've talked about this before, but you know, young people like to party, and older people are like to not hurt and uh, exactly. feel you know relax kind of thing. Notice the gender, so. I don't know how they got... It's probably explained somewhere and I missed it, but it's female, 41.12%, male, 50.91%. So where's the other 9%? It's only a quarter of a percent that identifies transgender. Where'd the other uh, 9% of people go? I guess... Interesting question. (laughs) Because they said it was like mostly male, which is a factor in, in... biologically male which is a factor in how how much they take and how it's uh metabolized uh maybe, maybe they, they maybe they just didn't answer it just pulled out yeah they like were like i'm not either of these three and then left yeah. it blank i guess 
they didn't have enough options maybe <laughs> doing some quick math so the total number of respondents for the whole survey was how many so the total number was like over 5,000. No, there were 7,381 responses. They only used response, respondents that completed at least 80% of the survey, including demographics. So that was 5,152. So they used 70% of all of them that completed the survey. And then of the valid responses, they only used 2,296 for this particular paper that qualified for a psychiatric condition. Gotcha, yeah. Because if you add up the age frequencies, you do, you get the 2,296. If you add up the sex uh, frequencies, though, you get 2,275. So, yeah, there's about, like, 20 folks missing. Okay, so that's that might make sense for why that's missing and they did like they focus on anxiety depression adhd and ptsd but they also uh, people also listed back pain chronic pain fibromyalgia rheumatoid arthritis substance use disorder only 191 people listed that there's some bipolar personality disorders very small percentage most people found out about it on the internet on the internet and from friends and family these were all in the u.s right most were in the u.s and canada they said 96 percent were from u.s and canada and but then there was like four percent overseas i think because uh the universities that the the authors are from are there's uh, some in the uk uh there's one in malaysia and uh there's one in british columbia and then in the united states uh gotcha, so okay. maybe maybe the there's some people from the uk the answer but they said you should probably consider this like a north american study they said that at one point in the paper majority 83 percent get it online and then the next highest is 18.7 percent get it from shops smart shop or other shop I'm not sure what a smart shop is but uh, a, a head shop usually okay. they're called smart shops uh, <laughs> I know like in uh, in Amsterdam a smart shop is a place where you go to get like I don't want to say psychedelics but generally yeah psychedelics but it's like supplements that are legal but generally they may have something else behind the counter and uh, but drugs that are supposed to mess with your uh, mental state how long have you been affected by a medical condition prior to taking Kratom? Uh, the majority, 66%, answered more than five years. Mm. Only 2% answered less than a year. So these are for long-term conditions that they're taking Kratom for. And how long has it been since you first consumed Kratom? Only 8% said less than six months. Uh, the majority is uh, two to five years. And the mm -hmm. second highest is one to two years, then more than five. So these are, in general, long-term Kratom consumers that are answering the questions. <laughs> Which is also acknowledged, you know, it's a, it's a positive bias selection factor. Like, generally, people don't want to talk about their drug use, especially if it's a bad experience. But, like, those that are willing to just have a bias that they... Had, they've been using it for a while. It's been effective for them for some reason. So at least the, the authors acknowledge this selection bias. Yeah, yeah, they do acknowledge the bias um, towards the end there. They mention if people have a bad experience, they're unlikely to take part in a Kratom survey or be in the online spaces where they actually recu recruited people. And they did use, I think they used the American Kratom Association, uh, but they acknowledge the bias.
on the other hand, these are long-term creative consumers. So a lot of the criticism is, well, yeah, it's great for the first year. And then I went crazy on it, but these are, this is focusing on people with these psychiatric conditions that have been using Kratom long-term. And they, they don't necessarily say it's all good. They say their substance co-use seems to be a little higher. And they say that it, in some cases, it may be exacerbating adverse effects uh, of substance co-use. Higher substance co-use among Kratom users with psychiatric conditions. And in the conclusion, they say... Although Kratom was reported as improving depressive and anxiety symptoms in those with a psychiatric condition, indicating some perceived therapeutic benefit, its concomitant use with prescription psychiatric medications may produce or exacerbate adverse effects. So they were talking about specifically with psychiatric uh, medications uh, and drug Mm -hmm. interactions. So the idea is there that it has to be looked at and their psychiatrist or doctor should know about it that's what grunman said when i had him on the podcast so he's always about he's really about pushing for people to work with their doctor if they use kratom Uh, not a lot of people like to do that because they feel like they're going to be put on a list and if they if they break their leg they're not going to get opiates because they kratom or they'll give them kratom use disorder or something like that because they've had experiences like that in the past with not being able to get opioids um right another thing i pointed out in the paper is uh the dosages most the majority is one to three grams but that's like 33 percent 31 percent um said three to five grams and this is per dose and then the majority said they take that dose three times a day that's 29%. So for a lot of people, it seems like it's it's above the 10 grams a day mark. It's not for most. For most, it would be about uh, 3 to 9 grams a day, I guess, because it's 1 to, th- 1 to 3 grams is the majority. Um, but a lot of people are taking above 10 grams per day. It should be important, especially if you're taking that much, to ask the vendor for lab results because... When I had Walt Brzezelik on, he did the test about lead and Kratom products where he found a bunch of lead that would be toxic if somebody was taken above 10 grams per day. So mm-hmm. that's why people, especially if people were taking that much, they should um, ask their vendor for recent labs to make to at least make sure it's not contaminated. If, if you can't get the uh, alkaloid levels, at least uh, make sure what you're taking is clean. So it seems like mm-hmm. there's a lot of people taking you know that that amount uh, as far as the survey goes well i would say that generally corresponds to like what doses are reported on like you know reddit or some other forums like it's not like it's nowhere near the amounts people are reporting like way less but it's also not way more like it generally seems to fit within the range of expectations wouldn't you say yeah i mean there yeah there's a lot of people on reddit they're like oh i take 40 grams a day and i'm fine <laughs> yeah and i'm like yeah haven't pooped in two years yeah yeah that's a little much <laughs> just like literally every single person that uh, you've read in case reports that have a problem with and they're only taking kratom are taking high amounts uh i don't think there's anybody that takes uh a one teaspoon a day that ends up in the er just because of kratom and uh, how do you usually use, have used Kratom? 
a majority either take a powder capsule or with a beverage. So 50% powdered kratoms consumed with beverage, uh, 33% powdered kratom pure or in pill tablet capsule form. Only 12.6% are using a tea. Some people do it with food. And then there's only 0.7% that do uh, the liquid shots, which which is good uh, because I think those were are where a lot of people get in trouble. Zero people reported smoking it. So if you're a journalist listening to this and you're about to write a story, you can leave out the it can be smoked part. <laughs> yeah, right. That's fear-mongering. Yeah, not even one person. (laughs) (laughs) Did you increase your regular dose of Kratom over time? Two-thirds said no, they did not, and a third said yes. And ten did not wish to answer, and we could probably assume they're yeses as well. (laughs) You'd say about a third said they increased their regular dose of Kratom, and two-thirds didn't. Which doesn't necessarily mean they're addicted. They might have started small and worked their way to a dose that they're happy with Mm -hmm. uh, or they might have a dependency or whatever change in severity of medical conditions since starting kratom so this is a scale from one to ten it's um a chart and people answered one was their conditions much worse their psychiatric condition five is no change and ten is much better a majority of people for every condition answered ten uh, their condition's much better. And then it's kind of a scale. And then the next highest is 9, next highest is 8, 7, 6. And just very small percentage answered that it's worse. Or no, I was going to say, it would be change. kind of weird to continue to take something that makes you feel worse. Yeah, that's another, uh, you know, that's another of the bias. Really, anybody that would be taking this, most people that would be taking this would probably enjoy their kratom or at the very least are neutral to it right yeah it is interesting to see um across all of the conditions so adhd ptsd depression or anxiety it seems to be that the like amount of improvement are are relatively the same like it seems like everybody seems to be benefiting around the same amount the quality of life was improved to the same degree across all of those conditions what, did they what were you say? saying earlier about bipolar? So, like, to some degree, like ADHD, PTSD, anxiety, depression, they're all sort of like cognitive affective disorders, but like, you know, not to the degree or extent of like schizophrenia or bipolar, um, these sort of like personality disorders. Did, did they say that they were those people that reported those personality disorders thrown out or they just weren't of interest? I wonder. I mean, they might have had, they might have also reported anxiety, depression. It seems like they took the four most common and, and, and looked at those. It differed slightly between conditions. Um, Kratom users diagnosed with ADHD were less likely to report sleep improvement and decreased pain, whereas PTSD or anxiety criteria were more likely to report decreased pain and experience an elevated mood, euphoria, or high. PTSD also more commonly had sleep improvement, sexual enhancement, and increased focus. Among respondents reporting depression and anxiety, reducing or stopping other substance use, experience and increase in empathy were more likely to be reported. Mm-hmm. It makes sense for the PTSD, because I think it's 
there's a lot of PTSD just does a lot and if it, it calms down and that that then it'll it'll help you sleep more if you're not kind of you know gripped by panic attacks and stuff like mm-hmm. that it seems to make sense given the conditions and uh, the other thing that I pointed out in the article is the concomitant use of other substances. Cannabis was the highest co-use uh, substance, and then CBD, followed by CBD and benzodiazepines. And there's just like a small percentage that used amphetamine and opioids, a very small percentage. You know, it's sort of, sort of a reflection of the demographics, too. I mean, cannabis is the most yeah. widely consumed, right? So you would expect that to be the the highest co-use negative experiences so nausea upset stomach yeah irritability or agitation that was significantly different shortness of breath dry mouth problems urinating anger hostility or aggression i was just reading the ones that were statistically significant nausea i found nausea constipation stomach upset and dizziness or drowsiness those are all above 9% 9% of the people responded that they got that. They, they broke it down by conditions. So nausea, 29% was the most people reported nausea. So that was the most commonly reported constipation. I mean, I hear that. I hear that a lot. Constipation was 19 to 28%. So nobody reported death. So that's an inherent bias because uh, dead, <laughs> dead people can't take the survey. <laughs> I I wonder, though, if they had, like, uh, dependency and addiction on the survey, because I don't don't see that there. Yeah, it would have to be a, um, like, these were all properly diagnosed and confirmed cases, right? That that was part of the selection criteria. It would, I wonder if they even asked about, like, a history of addiction. Yeah, some reports indicate that regular kratom use at a higher doses can cause dependence. They referred to another article that said that, and they mentioned it, but it doesn't look like they asked that. I mean, well, they did ask whether they took methadone to treat dependence, and they said there was, like, former opioid users. Given that we know who the the authors are, too, like, they're very acutely aware of the stigmatization there and so maybe that was like a conscious choice to not include that or not focus on that because usually like that's that's what makes the headlines stuff like that and i guess did you increase your creative use over time could get an indication of who might have a dependence i mean i assume that people who are taken daily have some kind of physical dependency that might just be as mild as a coffee dependency or uh, right. Stronger. Yeah, they didn't focus on that, which was interesting. So, is there anything that they that they found that they reported that like caught you off guard or by surprise? You think just sort of uh, update, uh, you know, with a larger sample size and confirming sort of current theories? Yeah, because it seems like going back to there's a John Hopkins. Uh, it goes around a lot. It's a chart with a leaf. They found the same demographics, like uh, middle aged white, middle class. I think the Johns Hopkins survey found mostly uh, female, though. Uh, That was from 2019. But, yeah, I mean, it seems to correlate with all the other surveys and conclusions. But this one seems a little more detailed, I think. Uh, They're taking... Uh accounting for what people were using it for and and i think kirsten's doing kirsten smith is doing a lot of work uh, towards that she's actually writing some case reports that are she said like 4500 words they're like way more detailed than the ones that have been put out so far 
by somebody that showed up at the emergency room with uh, Kratom and a doctor. Uh, and we looked at some of these, like Kratom-induced psychosis. Uh, uh-huh. Meanwhile, the guy stopped all his meds for a week. Um, so she's looking right, at that. I hadn't slept in two days. I yeah. remember that now. Yeah. So she's, she even said on Twitter that she's writing like some case reports that are accounting for, you know, why people consume Kratom, which is kind of what this was. It wasn't just our survey. Do you use Kratom? Well, how old are you? Where are you from? Are you employed or college educated? It's that plus all these other things. So I think the, I think the surveys are getting more detailed. And when the one comes out where they had people use the app and everything kind of beyond a survey, it's a, she called it a real world clinical assessment. So longitudinal. Yeah. 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 So that, that'll hopefully have a more detailed picture of who and why people are using Kratom, uh, who's using Kratom and why they're using it. That's a better way to put that. <laughs> that is a yeah, and it's uh contrary to the baseline assumption of uh, law enforcement and drug abuse professionals that that just assume the worst from the beginning, right? We sort of need to collect this data to say like eh, that's not really the case. Yeah, Mississippi really needs to uh, read stuff this stuff because <laughs> that's mm-hmm. uh, they got a ban bill there. There's a there's a couple of states with ban bills like South Carolina, West Virginia, but they also have. Consumer Protection Act bills, but Mississippi is really uh, going nuts. I just interviewed a lady from Mississippi that I put on the podcast today, and she's originally from New York City, but she's like, I'm moving back to New York because it's going crazy down here. They're going to ban Kratom. You know, is this recent? Like, I knew that there was maybe some counties in Mississippi that were like that, but the whole state's considering it now. Oh yeah, well, every year they have a state ban bill on, and it doesn't get through, but they have another one this year. Uh, And what they're going to try to do is give the um, uh, the head of the Department of Health. I I don't know exactly it's called uh the power to say what can and can't be sold over the counter so if he's he could just say you know kratom's not sold over the counter and he wouldn't have to go through their congress which is i wonder what what the motivation is behind that and is it specific just to kratom or it's giving them just the such wide um, breath of like power the particular bill that's going now is kratom and tianeptine they're grouping those together uh because nobody there's not like a tianeptine community there that's like oh yeah this really helps and i think mostly people use i don't even i don't really know i think it is a painkiller but it's you know way more there's way more risk involved than that, but they're lumping it on the Kratom bill. And it, it's like the police have been the ones lobbying from county to county to get it outlawed. Somebody from uh, I interviewed from Mississippi said she thinks it's like might be the cannabis lobby. But I think the police are kind of like they have medical cannabis now, so they're not going to be able to bust people for weed. So they want to they want something to replace it because the police really have been lobbying in Mississippi, Louisiana. And then the other the other thing is it's the rehabs. They they want it to be illegal. There's this one called Lifehouse in Louisiana, one state over, and uh, they're they even like had their members, like people that are in recovery there, go show up at one of these uh, parish uh, board meetings and say, "Oh, you got to outlaw kratom 
and stuff like it's just kind of like a weird so our boss can make more money yes <laughs> so so mm-hmm. you can have court ordered clients for uh yeah, this, yeah, exactly. This, this the guy state here pay for it. Well, they get people. They work with their probation officers and everything, so they get people directly from jail, drug problems. So imagine that hiding <laughs> under the veil of uh, empathy. You know, if you were to see groups lobbying against cannabis in West Virginia or Virginia, given that state's historical reliance and like um, output of tobacco. That sort of makes sense, but I, I still haven't found the connection to why Mississippi, like maybe because of incarceration laws. And I know that down in the South, I think are generally the highest rates of incarceration, but. Yeah, especially it, the it, deep that, South, I think. Yeah. Is that Lighthouse? Is their headquarters in, in uh, Louis- They're Louisiana, but there's other oh. other rehabs in Mississippi that are. Like you see, it, you see it on Facebook because some people start commenting. And some lady write, writes this big thing about kratom. It turns out, oh, she's uh, works at uh, this rehab. Um, so they're all like the rehabilitation people are pushing for it. For, so that's one of the lobbies, and then the police, or it was it was the Lowndes County Crime and Addiction Task Force. That's the first thing I wrote about in Mississippi. They were going around. It was like former cops or current cops and like former um state dea agents or whatever the state dea is called going around and just talking to cats all this stuff's killing people it's just as bad as heroin and whatnot both in both instances none of them will uh like explicitly admit the conflict of interest that it also affects their revenue streams you know it's uh i ran into that same thing in ohio i think we mentioned it before but where when we were trying to get opiate addiction or dependence added as a qualifying condition, it was the word of one medical doctor who operates a rehabilitation, uh, like a recovery center that the um, legislators listened to rather than like the li- list of 100 physicians with the same qualifications saying that this is not true. Yeah, that so, happened in Arkansas too. There was one guy that was a doctor that said uh yeah kratom's addictive and they that's how it became illegal in arkansas it's just like overnight bill there's they had a public comment period they like announced it the same day they had it was like one of those things nobody nobody showed up in favor and then the one doctor wrote him an email and then that was it it was illegal yeah 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 it is it's wild it's like um yeah, it's just it's the dirty game sometimes. Like when, it, when they have like public notice requirements, so they get a ad out in a paper that no one reads in a font font size eight. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, no one really cares about it, so we're just gonna move forward with whatever uh, you know the people that we do pay attention to are telling us to do. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And it's crazy because Kratom even has lobbyists, and it, and it's still uh, it's still a challenge. Because they got the whole anti-drug industry kind of against it. What was that thing you were mentioning? Two CT. I've never even heard of that. Uh, Whatever uh, they're trying to include in the bill in Mississippi. So create them. Oh, oh, T and Eptine. What's that? T and Eptine is like I think it's a synthetic drug. I haven't really studied on it. How do I spell it? Um, T I A N E P T I N E. Neptine linked to serious harm and overdoses. It's a antidepressant, anti cyclic okay. antidepressant. Interesting. Oh, it is an opiate receptor agonist. Okay. Yeah. 
It, and there's been a couple instances where they found that uh, Kratom was um, adulterated with TNFDine, which they also don't check for it on, I don't think they check for it on um, toxicology reports, so it might be one of the things that contributed to some of the some of the deaths, but I'm not sure. It's only a couple times, I think, they where they found it in Kratom adulterated, but then it's not tested very much. But it's a prescription, though, so... Where are people even buying oh, this? Yeah. I mean, so it's, it says it's a so it's interesting legal status. In general, it's prescription only, but in the U.S., it's not FDA approved. Schedule one in Minnesota, Schedule two in Oklahoma, Michigan, or no Mississippi, Alabama, and AU, or that's Australia. So yeah, there's there's only three four states that have it scheduled. Um, and it's in Schedule 1 or Schedule 2. It looks like you can buy it online. I'm looking at it right here. Um, well, I mean, there's tons of those sites. Like, you go to a Canadian pharmacy, and it looks like you can buy prescription drugs online. But whether – I don't know. I've just never never actually even tried or any of those things. But that's interesting. One. I wonder if it's like having a comeback and that, like, doctors are trying to transition people off of opiates really no matter what, just, like, as a matter of principle because yeah. of, the, of the, the issue. So, like – I wonder if TNFTine was a way that they could continue to prescribe it to patients who needed it, but it was under the radar of the the drug monitoring systems. And now, like now, it it, it got to the point where like it, it, it showed up on their radar, and so they, now they want to block it as well. Maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's kind of being lumped in with Creative in Mississippi. Two completely unrelated. One's a like a natural supplement of plant material. The other one's a pharmaceutical drug. Again, the apples and oranges being put in the same basket. Classic. Yep. But we'll see what happens. Well, it looks like those two state ban bills in Mississippi died in committee on January 31st. Kratom will not be banned statewide in Mississippi in 2023. We're keeping you up to date on KratomScience.com. Please like, subscribe, rate, review, share, comment. Especially share this on social media. Check us out on Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. Check out Dr. John Cachet at Jay Cachet. The music is Captain Big Wheel. The song is called Moon Runner. Kratom Science Journal Club is produced by me, Brian Gallagher, for KratomScience.com. Take care.